and and, um, it's much more important to understand that it's not just that you win, it's how you win that matters. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast. I know it's been a while, but we are so excited to bring you another amazing guest and a great discussion. So as you know, my name is Malachi Finn. I am the co-host and editor for the podcast. Hey, guys. My name is Antonio Magallanes. I am host and marketing. Really happy to be here again. What's up, guys? I'm Darius. Um, one of the hosts. I also run operations here. Very excited to be talking to you guys all again. Awesome. So let's go ahead and kick it off. So First off, we want to give a big thanks to the new VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion here at Santa Clara University, Shay Duncan-Smith, for coming on to the podcast. So to begin, Shay, I'm curious to learn more about what motivated you to pursue this career. Could you tell us about your hometown, childhood, and how these experiences formulated your passion for this work? Oh, definitely, definitely. I um, I am an Army baby, so I grew up, um, you know, while I was born, um, at Fort Hood Army Base, and my, um, you know, dad was stationed in different places, so Schofield Barracks, um, um, you know, he was stationed in Hawaii, he was a Marshall Islands vet, um, and so I got a chance to live in different places and sort of travel as a child, um, and then in addition to that, um, my stepfather was air traffic controller, so we moved to places where there were big sort of airport hubs as a child, so um, because of that, I moved a lot, you know, um, and it provided an opportunity for me to uh, be in different uh, geographic areas and meet um, the diverse groups of people. And I had to make friends really quickly. So um, I always laugh and tell people that I could be like on the first floor of, you know, a building. And by the time I get to the uh, third floor of the elevator, I have like a best friend because, you know, that was sort of when I was growing up, you know, you had to make high quality relationships and you had to make them quickly and and try to keep them, right? Because there was no Facebook, there was no, um, you know, World Wide Web <laughs> to be able to connect with people. We were back in the days of card catalogs and <laughs> all that good stuff at the library. So, um, so it was really, uh, you know, um, old school. So writing letters and phone calls and stuff like that to keep in touch with people. But I think because of that, it helped me to develop a genuine interest in people. Um, and I think that moved on into my um, uh, undergraduate years when I was, I started off as a biomedical engineer and ended up falling in love with sociology and race relations and just really the study of people and society. And I think um, a lot of that has to do with my childhood and in and, and my upbringing, um, which ultimately ended up bringing me into what I do now in my career. Absolutely. So a real quick follow up on that. I know you said that you lived in that setting where you were constantly going to different schools and meeting new people. So like, how is that skill of meeting new people and then having that ability to found uh, create relationships really benefited you in these first, let's say, couple of years of your career? Like, how did you really use that knowledge of building relationships to your advantage from from your past? I think high quality connections and genuine connections to me are important. Um, I've been described as being overly empathetic, so I really care about um, like people. I care about their families. I care about um, I don't know their communities, their environments, um, what they're dealing with. Um, I thought it was um, 
really great when I um, just got on the call and Antonio was like, well, wait a minute, hold on. Let me tell you, tell me a little bit about your day. <laughs> How's everything going before we jump right in? And that's that sort of speaks to my spirit because I'm, I'm one of those people who've been really, you know, genuinely in, interested in how um, how folk are doing and like sort of their stories, I think are really important. So I feel like that's that um, if there's anything, it taught me how to make high quality connections with folk. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. And I think that sentiment of understanding people's stories and kind of hearing their 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 stories is very um interesting and one thing that really we are really curious about kind of in uh, your story is the time you spent at the university of michigan so we know you were there for over 12 years um and you, we we're just curious to hear kind of what are some of the key lessons that you were able to kind of learn during this time and how do you think that helped you kind of build your overall toolkit in the higher education space Yes, I would say that um, my time at University of Michigan, that was the most informative um, for my career, actually happened before the 12-year stint as a, um, uh, a professional um, in higher education there. I, um, when I came into University of Michigan, one of the first uh, weeks I arrived, sort of like your welcome week here, um, we had a welcome week and I met Edward Burnett. He ultimately ended up being the director at the William Monroe Trotter Multicultural Center. And um, he was my first boss. And um, when he moved over to the Trotter Multicultural Center, he found me and recruited me to become a student manager there. So I, um, like you're like the MCC here um, at Santa Clara University, I was able to be the student manager at the Multicultural Center and ultimately ended up being the resident manager where I lived in the building and I actually helped to run the building and, and um, supervise the other student managers. And to me, that was like, that was the starting place for my career in higher education, especially in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I got to do a lot of work with the outside uh, surrounding community in Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti, Michigan. So the Multicultural Center served as a resource to community members for them to rent it out or, or have different meetings and have different spaces um, there. Um, but it also served as like a, a uh, the hub for all of the student organizations, um, um, everything from the gospel chorale to, um, you know, uh, we had um, NASA, the Native American Student Association. Um, we had a lot of Latinx uh, student organizations, everything from fraternities and sororities to different um, uh, academic organizations. We just, I mean, just think about the wide range of identities and human difference. Like it was represented in the multicultural center. And Ed was so good about just uh, back in the day, you know, we order like catering for those events, but like we cooked for every one of those events. So you can imagine like somebody's mom would come fly in and we would be in there cooking for like, it was 50,000 people at Michigan. So we would be cooking these huge meals um, and um, just learning from like all different cultural, you know, trying to find the right grocery store to get certain things. It was just amazing um, sort of experience and, and glimpse into the human side, into people's stories, going back to stories. And so, um, you know, he taught me that there's no end to the good you can do if you don't get the credit. And we did stuff like if there is like paint chipping in that building, like we got up on the ladders and painted the buildings ourselves when the institutions that they didn't have money for it. So it was that sort of hands on on the ground experience that helped me to um, to sort of it was the baseline of the foundation for my career and sort of why I fight for what I fight for and why I do what I do.
and I, I have a quick follow up to that because I think one thing you mentioned is that there's kind of no end to the good that you can do if you don't get the credit for it. So I'm just curious, kind of, what are some things that that really drives you to do good for for others despite maybe some of the you know recognition, you know, folks saying, "Hey, a great job on that." Kind of, what drives you to help folks behind the scenes? Um, what drives me to help folks behind the scenes? So for me, um, when I think it also goes back to the question you're asking before too, Darius, about the 12 years at the University of Michigan, part of that in my career, what I realized early on as a professional, that it's important that the um, populations that are impacted by policies and procedures at an institutional level or at the table to inform those policies and procedures. It's actually the reason why I went back to graduate school so I could hone my skill set to be able to be a better community organizer, a better, um, you know, I, I have my degree in social policy and program evaluation. And so for me, really looking at um, how individuals you know, and making sure that they're, I'm bringing them to the table and, 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 and helping them to shape how policies and procedures are written that are going to impact them on a day-to-day basis. So providing them with the skill sets, talking to them about um, what is sort of the best strategy or way to approach it, um, making sure that um, they are um, working to make sure doors stay open, right? Um, advocating for them to make sure that, that um, officials who sometimes might feel like they they shouldn't have to be at the table. They shouldn't have to answer for different things. Um, you know, are engaged in the conversation and open to those conversations because they can only make us better. So really looking at both sides of the table, right? Like how do I get the administrators who this might not be in their muscle, right? This might not be like what they, um, they uh, think of as a logical step um, is to have some of these deep conversations um, in order to make sure whatever it is that they are implementing or the work they are putting towards a project is actually effective and successful. It can't be um, successful if you don't have buy-in. So for me, it's always been important to um, work on both sides of the table um, to try to get people to come together to make these um, decisions so that they can be effective and so that we can have a healthy community and a community um, where everybody who's in it can thrive. Yeah, I think that was really that was really good. Um, so like in that same vein, with all this experience you've had of diversity, equity, and inclusion space, like how do you measure impact? So I think there's sort of the technical side of it, which is you know really lay, being really clear and explicit and laying out an implementation plan um, that's tied to the mission, the vision, the goals you have. Um, you know, your strategic imperatives, this is what we're working towards. And then you have goals um, to be able to get to those uh, imperatives. Um, Some people call them SMART goals, whatever it is. But, you know, you have the goals, you have key efforts. What are we doing to actually achieve our goals? Um, Key indicators, how do we know that we're successful in these particular goals? Um, We work a lot of times with institutional research um, or different areas, surveys, focus groups, all those different things to see, like use metrics to be able to measure, like if you are successful and then and then accountability mechanisms, who's responsible for this, who's ultimately the person where this particular goal area is housed um, or what's the office, whatever it is, um, and how do we help to coach them and, and hold them 
accountable and provide resources so they can actually achieve those goals. So that is sort of, if you want to know the concrete sort of area, so that's how we do it. So for me, um, I've seen success in, um, you know, implementing things like um, opportunity hires at different schools where, um, you know, individuals are, uh, they send out a pool, you know, uh, well, they send out a, um, a, a faculty, um, you know, job description and they have a bunch of candidates that come in that are highly qualified, diverse group of candidates. And we have a specific pool of money that says that if you just so happen to find, you know, you know, three candidates who, you know, are diverse, come from uh, different um, backgrounds and who are excellent and would be um, a great hire for this particular uh, position. Um, and you know that it's going to be really difficult for you to go back out next year and find this particular, this same, you know, excellent group of candidates, this critical mass, then you can hire them all, right? Um, so those, like, those types of things, I think, um, are areas in which we've been able to see success um, and that I've been ex excited about because that is something that even in a short term can change your, like, um, your percentages, like how well you've done in terms of hiring specific um, uh, faculty across different categories. That's one concrete example. But um, besides changing sort of the faculty ranks, um, really creating opportunities for individuals to be able to engage in difficult dialogue. So doing work around intergroup dialogue and really opening up um, the campus community in the past to um, talk about stuff that normally um, people try to shy away from because it's hard and it and it might cause pain and it um, it might cause um, conflict right um, but really um, creating opportunities one to develop the skill sets of, of different community members to be able to have these difficult conversations and then you know to possibly create space to be able to work through some of these issues has been um, you know, another way in which I would measure success, and it might not have concrete um, numbers attached to it, but it's helped us to be a healthier campus because we um, are able to be in conversation, especially when the tough stuff happens. Absolutely. And I think that aspect is so important. When you have different leaders come onto campus or any setting, ensuring that you're approaching your goals with specific and measurable uh, deadlines and or bullet points to get there, I, I think that's one of the most foundational skills of a, of a great leader, because oftentimes you want to ensure that you're able to achieve this certain goal. It's like, how do we get there? How do we make everybody feel involved and have a voice? So I feel like that's very reassuring to hear that that's one of the things you prioritize in your leadership. Oh yeah. So the next question I have is with the history of working for a few different colleges, have you noticed or experienced any difference in regards to the DEI initiatives of universities in varying geographic locations? Um, so, for example, the West Coast or the Midwest, and if so, what dif differentiates these locations? I think every geographic location has its own culture. <laughs> it's an interesting thing to to talk about. Like, I think the East Coast culture was extremely different from the Midwest culture, and um, I think the West Coast culture sort of surprised me because I think it's um, extremely diverse in this area, but there seems to be a lot of disconnect in terms of people understanding other folks' cultures, which is really interesting. So it shows to me that proximity really means nothing. <laughs> um, you know, if you're not going to seek out and be intentional about learning about other cultures. 
Um, I think on the East Coast, I thought it was also going to be um, diverse. Um, and it was, but it was like the pockets of diversity that were sort of partitioned off. Um, but here it doesn't seem as partition, partitioned off, but I think intellectually or even just knowledge wise, it seems partitioned off. Does that make sense to you? Um, I don't know what I don't know how you all feel about that, but I just it's it's very interesting. And then the Midwest was, um, you know, they always talk about Midwest Midwest nice, and I I just felt like I loved I love the Midwest. I just felt like you had to dig under a few layers to really figure out what was actually sort of on people's minds or what was in their hearts, um, and it would show up, and you're like, hmm, now I see, right? And so that is, um, you know, just because people are kind doesn't mean that they're they're not, you know, ist. And you can fill in anything before that, right? Um, and so there's, um, you know, I think every place is 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 different. You know, the South is different, right? I could go on and on. Um, but these are my, as an individual, these are my own individual sort of um, perspectives. But I find I find, you know, I've only been here um, since July. A lot of my family live lives in the LA area. A lot of Duncans are in the LA area. Um, but this northern, uh, the Bay Area, the Northern California area, like it's it's actually quite fascinating because it's it's very diverse. But I feel like, in terms of knowledge around different around cultural differences or cross cultural understanding, it seems to be um, a bit of a disconnect. But I'm just in Santa Clara, so maybe I need to get out. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that is very very helpful kind of um, insight, and and we're just curious too because like with all this insight working in these different regions and focusing a lot on D and I, um, I'm just curious for you kind of what are some of the challenges in this space, right? So kind of what are some of the things that, or more so the the, the problems um, that you have to kind of tackle when you're working in this space? Uh, maybe how do you like approach those problems and kind of how do you go about mitigating risk when it comes to kind of working um, in a space and in an industry like this? Um. Well, for me, it's about two areas, and I think people are probably already tired of me talking about it. There's, there's a, there's the compliance side, so the laws, the regulations, and going back to what you just said, there's um, mitigating the risk, you know, um, mission, mission critical risk, uh, financial risk, reputational risk, all those things that could go on and on, right? Um, and then there's um, the um, care and compliance of the care and commitment side, right? Because it can't just be about the regulations. It has to be about like, what do we, what, who are we trying to be? Um, are, you know, how do we build a just, humane and sustainable institution, right? How are we living to our aspirations? Um, you know, do we have the moral courage to do that? Like, are we trying to like, you know, and, and how are we demonstrating that commitment and that care? And so that goes back to everything I was talking about from, you know, building capacity on how do we get back to discourse and actually have dialogue. It's a higher education institution. People don't even know how to talk anymore, right? They're just sort of in their echo chambers. And you're just like, if we can't talk here, then man, I feel sorry for the world because we like actually, you know, came here to be educated and have some of these hard discussions because we're supposed to be solving some of the world's most difficult issues, right? I mean, at least that's what I, that, that's what I think. Yeah, I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> but but I could talk about that particular question for days. <laughs> and then on the flip side, though, what are some of the exciting, happy moments that you get when you get to work in a uh, space like this? Kind of, you know, what are those moments that 
make it all worth it to really tackle these important issues. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I get up every day is the, is for people's stories. Not only that, but really providing an opportunity for people to take the tacit knowledge that they're getting in their courses, in their day-to-day interactions, in their internships, from running a podcast, um, from, uh, you know, any type of extracurricular organization that they're involved in, um, in their classrooms when they're teaching students, all of that, to take those that tacit knowledge and actually um, turn it into um, to skill sets to make the world better, if that makes any sense. So I, um, I, I'm happy to be able to be contributing to people's lives in that way. And not just students, um, which are a great joy of mine, but faculty and staff too. I get an opportunity to, you know, to connect with students, faculty, and staff, and the surrounding community. So that's that's the happy, joyous part parts of it. Is I get to um, I get to teach, and I also get to learn, um, and I also get to be a bridge builder, and I also get to, um, as I tell my kids, mommy gets to teach people how to get along, right? And um, you know, and and my whole goal in that is is hopefully I'll be making a little bit of an impact on the world and making it better than than how I found it. So really going back to the sort of power of one, like, you know, um, some people get up every day and don't feel like, you know, what they're doing is purpose driven. And I feel like, you know, I've been blessed to have, uh, um, be happy in, in what I do on a day-to-day basis, because even if the days are hard or I'm getting the bad information or seeing the very worst of an institution, my goal is really to try to make it better. And, and I hope that that's what I'm doing. And I hope that I'm provided with the agency to be able to do that. I feel as if I am. Um, and I think at that moment when you feel like you're not making effective change or that your agency is sort of taken away, then you have to make some hard decisions on, is this the work that I'm supposed to be doing? Absolutely. Um, and I think with the role of diversion and inclusion, there's so many question marks around it and not many people might know what it is. Um, but especially in this new world and especially on this campus, I think it's such an important role in like implementing a safe environment and having everyone you know, have a sense of belonging. Um, but that being said, like, I know you've been in academia for quite some time now. Um, and I'm a little curious to learn uh, some of the driving factors that led you to be interested in this brand new role in Santa Clara. And I'm, I know the sun has a lot to do with it, but <laughs> um, maybe some other things. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, one day I'll tell you the book I'm going to write about about the sun and if it's enough, right? <laughs> but um, the what I, I think the reason why I came here is because the institution said that they wanted to do anti-racist work, right? Um, they wanted to be an anti-racist institution. So for individuals who just, you know, that's such a bad word along with critical race theory, um, I'll be clear with you. It's basically uprooting you know, racism in any aspect of your culture, your organization, your um, ways of being, you know, the simplest form, that's the simplest way I can describe what it means to be anti-racist. So who would actually be against that, right? But you'd be surprised when people hear that, they get really upset, right? Um, But, you know, when um, this institution said that they wanted to actively do that, then it immediately, um, like, you know, said to me, that um, we want to look at our systems. We want to look at our structures. We want to look at um, how we recruit. We want to look at how we uh, create a campus climate that is free from 
any um, signs of, of uh, systemic oppression, structural oppression, um, and not just for folk based upon race, but also the, we want to do it around, you know, the wide range of human difference, right? So this is individuals who are veterans and individuals who have both hidden and physical disabilities. And I could just go on and on and on at different occupational levels when you think about um, individuals that work within the institution. So I was excited um, about that. And then not to mention also that it would be that it's at a, a parochial institution or a faith-based institution. It's a Jesuit Catholic institution in, um, in terms of the fundamental values. Um, and, you know, going back to care for the whole person, um, the way um, anti-racist work sort of comes into play, it's a little different, right? It's, it's a little, um, you know, something that's really exciting because you have principles, you have values, you have things to draw from. This is who the institution said that they were um, and who they are. And I don't have to say, like, let's figure out who we are before we do this work, right? We already have um, so much to draw from. So I'm so excited to be able to um, be at this institution to do it. And I was trying to figure out sort of what's, what was next for me. I was at that point in my career where I was like, okay, let's see. And um, when this came along, I was extremely attracted to, to the work and excited about the work and so happy that I came. Not to mention you all, I mean, I knew Santa Clara had great students um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm on the phone. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking to a bunch of students, but um, just the way you all, how I've seen you all approach things, um, you know, and how I've seen you all um, approach this work with passion to make change and effective change on this campus. Um, even though I know you have to be exhausted in a lot of this work um, was is, is particularly impressive, something that I haven't um, seen in a long time. You know, sometimes I see things that are um, more, I'll be honest with you, more performative. And I ask myself, you know, so is this about this person's ego or is it about the collective? Is it about the community? And I just really, um, I'm so encouraged by how the students approach this work because they truly want to leave this place better than they found it. And that, to me, um, that's something I can get behind and lock arms with. So I'm excited. Definitely kind of people who kind of want to make the campus in Santa Clara a better place. And we personally know many students, um, you know, in the three years that we've all been here that, you know, I've been trying kind of looking at ways of kind of how can we improve the kind of campus that we live in, work in, study in. Um, so I think we're interested in kind of knowing more. Kind of, so since you're now at Santa Clara University um, and you're in a role that um, to us has a lot of a lot of impact and importance on the future of the university. Um, so what are some goals, objectives, kind of high level, high level things that you would like to accomplish within the next kind of one to, to three years in this role? And kind of how do you plan on kind of, you know, trying to make those things happen um, at the university? Definitely. So really quickly, because I talked about it before, is one, they have to create a division of inclusive excellence. So put together this structure because I can't be team of one, right? I need to think about how we centralize diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts on the campus and then create quality control so that we can provide services across the institution in excellence. So that's one. Um, two, I need to be able to hold us accountable. And in, in order for us to build and strengthen our diversity, equity, inclusion efforts, I need to have a blueprint to build. So that's a strategic plan. 
right? Is and the strategic plan also has an implementation plan, and um, and in that implementation plan is um, you know mechanisms for accountability and responsibility. We'll have an annual report to talk about like what goals we were able to reach unit by unit, uh, you know, within the year. Um, most likely we'll set the goals for two to three years for the full plan, but we consider the plan to be a living document. So we'll look at it every two to three years to refresh and do that. And then we'll also create assessments and um, really look a little bit closer and more generatively and iteratively at programs to be able to see um, how effective they are, right? And where the gaps are. So that's that's sort of um, one side of the work. Um, another, so, you know, you think about that, that's enough for a year <laughs> or two, right? But um, hopefully we can move a little quicker than that. Um, one of the things I think is really fascinating for me, and I've been actually working with some faculty teams on, um, but also want to do this for students, um, uh, students, faculty, staff, and maybe even alumni. I've been looking at the life cycle of a faculty member. So a faculty member from, from recruitment all the way into like a promotion and a full professor. And at every milestone, what can we do in terms of um, uh, infusing diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives to make sure that um, there is no sort of, I hate to use this word, but I can't think of another word, leaky pipeline, so no one leaves, no attrition, right? How can I, how can I make it so that this is an environment for um, folk to thrive all the way until, until they just, maybe they, they decide they don't wanna be here anymore, that's one thing, but not because we failed them in any way, right? And so that is, um, so I'm looking at that too. I wanna look at that for staff members, um, like how can they, um, navigate up, you know, and how can we develop talent from within and what are ways in which we can pour into staff members. And then also for students, like if you think, you know, maybe I'm starting back in kindergarten and K through 12 to start building my pipeline and then get in all the way to Santa Clara and what do I have to provide in the first year to get folk back to the second year and then the third and the fourth year, right? And so, and looking at graduate students and graduate student programs. So that is, I think, a really um, fun project and a project I think that'll make a difference really about thinking about what is it, in what ways are we investing um, in the folk in our community to one, help to develop their skill sets around diversity, equity, and inclusion. But also like when they come here, like, you know, when we're bringing them here, are we like telling them like where the local grocery store is or where to get your hair done so you don't come out looking like the Lion King, I'm raising my hand, like, you know, or like where to get a fade, like, you know, just different things that I think are like little simple things that would make you feel like you're a part of the community, where to get like some, where to get some basole, like where do, where do you, can I go and get some food where I feel like I'm like, it's homemade food, right? And I feel like I'm, I get a taste of home, you know, or if I don't get to go home for Thanksgiving or, or whatever, you know, you know, different, you know, there's all these different holidays that, um, that we, you know, don't honor on specific religious-based calendars or whatever, like, but how do, how do I go somewhere to my local community to be able to celebrate that? So it's just a lot of things that I think are really basic um, that we could do with just looking at like this, and I call it the life cycle of students, faculty, and staff. And then also like, how are we helping our, like how are we connected to our alumni? I know we have like grand reunion and we sort of bring them back, but what are other ways that we can help to provide like continuing education? If I think about the ways that uh, in the landscape that's ever changing around diversity, equity, and inclusion, language changes, different things about uh, learning about different, um, you know, cross-cultural communication, a lot of that stuff changes. It evolves over time. So how can we continue to give 
um, provide continuing education to folk who, you know, have graduated 30 years ago who might not know what we mean when we talk about like what people's pronouns are, right? Um, you know, um, and so that they can make sure that they're affirming people in their community, right? So those are those are different ways in which um, I'm thinking about um, some things, and I'll sort of leave leave that there. But um, I mean, that's the stuff that I get excited about, right? Like, what is what are some of the cutting edge things that we can do that are different um, that would set us apart as an institution and really show that we're intentional and that we care about our community. For sure. Yeah. One of the things, I mean, you dropped a lot of gems and, and wonderful comments in that last segment, but one of the things that you highlighted was the pipeline for staff. I feel like as a student, I always think about pieces on how we can have a better classroom or, or sector for us, but I've never really thought about the staff perspective in the workplace environment. Like how am I coming here potentially as a black teacher or as a Hispanic teacher, do I feel comfortable in the setting? So that's great to hear that there are various levels in which you want to infuse these diversity and inclusion efforts to touch several stakeholders within the campus environment. So that was, that was awesome. Well, those are the end of our, I guess, technical or really interview questions. But now we have a fun segment. And this is our custom questions here at Voices of Santa Clara. So the first one is, um, if you could think of an ideal Saturday, what would this day look like for you? And what are some of the activities that you would engage in on your ideal Saturday in your free time when you don't have to work until 9 p.m.? <laughs> that is hilarious. So my ideal Saturday is probably... Um kicking it and watching a bunch of different movies and stuff with my kids and my um my honey <laughs> um, so i have four children uh, they're the middles and the ends so a 19 year old a um a 14 year old she just turned 14 that's why i paused 12 year old and a five-year-old so um and then tony my husband and so i think um you know, that probably would be, we just like to binge watch Netflix and different things of that sort. But now that we're out here, like we'd probably go to the beach. So like Santa Cruz, Monterey or something like that, just to go kick it and have fun. And I'm not a big ice cream fan, but they are ice cream fiends. So we'll probably go get ice cream and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I will tell you that my family are introverts and they're a bit of homebodies. And so a lot of times I'm out on my own. <laughs> so I'm usually like, you know, brunching, kicking it with friends, you know, um, my favorite thing in the world is tacos. Like I, I will go anywhere on the face of the earth and go find some tacos and I will drive the distance to get them. Like if I was on a desert island, that's all I would want. So, um, you know, so I'm usually doing brunch with something involved with that. <laughs> and um, uh, sometimes to be honest with you, I'll just hop in my car now and go to Half Moon Bay and um, just write and, you know, get fish and chips by the water. It's getting a little cold now, but I'll just throw on some layers and just um, sort of kick it by myself at times because I like to go out and sometimes my family, you know, they would rather, they would rather be in. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And you mentioned good tacos. This is good taco truck um, that we always um, hit up. Um, Joya Tacos. So, you know, it's like, I would say like a four, it <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, it's like a four minute drive down El um, Camino, so it's like very, very close. What's the name of it? Joya Tacos. It's Perfect. a it's a taco truck. Um, it's awesome. Also, one that we always love to ask too is if you could have dinner, maybe that dinner tacos with any person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? <laughs> oh, like okay, like people that I'm really interested with. 
so I lost my big brother during COVID. So Georgie, um, my grandma, Iva, Granny, we just lost her a month ago. She was like 106. And um, she was spunky and she had some good stories, <laughs> some good lessons. And then I'm like trying to think of somebody else like, you know, um, who I would love to talk to. You know, probably like this week, maybe James Baldwin, because he just was very, um, just some of his insights on different things. Like I use a lot of his quotes, um, I think would be just to pick his mind. Like I watch some of his old interviews or like when he goes to different, like when he went to different colleges and stuff like that. I kind of feel, I say, I was talking in present tense because I feel like in many of those cases I'm sitting in the audience, but just his, the way his mind worked. Um, you know, and I used the quote recently, um, we don't believe what you say because we see what you do, right? And I, you know, I see that to be very relevant right now. It's that a lot of people, like, I think in their heart of hearts, they feel like they're doing the right thing or they feel like they're on the right side of history. But in the day to day, they get it wrong, unfortunately. And it's hard for me sometimes, like, I observe this and I, I try to reconcile, like, how is it that I see you? say these things right and i really truly believe that you believe it but you can't see that that this action is like antithetical to like what you say you stand for um and that's a lot of organization that's a lot of institutions you know that's you know our aspirations as an institution at santa clara we're not we're not trying to go in that direction right but there might be decisions or choices or things that happen where people are trying to reconcile that like is this just is this humane and is this sustainable? And I think asking ourselves those questions, because I literally, like, I'm literal about it. Like, nope, it's not, right? You know what I mean? Like, I'm, you know, that's the type of person I am. But, like, how do you, like, reconcile that? Like, how do you, in your mind, um, make sense of that? And so it would be nice to have a conversation, an uh, upfront conversation with somebody as linear as um, James Baldwin to discuss that. Definitely. And that sounds like a great table. And I definitely agree that a lot of people don't practice what they preach. So that's definitely good. Um, but for our final question, I'm definitely interested to to hear this one. But uh, if you could listen to one artist, who would it be and why? Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Two. I love Kendrick. I'm not going to lie. I do love Kendrick. Just for different reasons. Um but, you know, it's been a minute for Kendrick. Um, and hopefully he's cooking up something good. I'm trying to think who else that I would I would just, like, lift up right now. I listen to a lot of music that means nothing. But the beats are banging. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, um, I love old school um, music. But I'll tell you what I have been listening to a lot lately. Like, um, Faith. I've been listening to a lot of Faith Evans, like, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, you know, most people could be like, who's Faith Evans? You know, but, <laughs> but yeah, I like, I like Faith, but, um, but when it talks, when it, when it's really like messages, I listen to a lot of old school hip hop. So, um, KRS-One, um, BDP, um, Rakim, um, like I love the old, old hip hop. Yeah, just the messages and stuff like that. I actually went start to start back listening to when we were kids. We listened to Public Enemy a lot. <laughs> it was actually 
you know, some very interesting messages. And I know actually now as an adult, I know Griff. And so it's, um, I don't know him well, but, uh, you know, connected with him and actually sat on some of his workshops. It's really, um, really interesting. Um, so I'm trying to think of other artists, but yeah, I would have to say Kendrick at this particular point. Yeah, that's a that's a great selection. Um, I think you're actually, I think you're the second person to say Kendrick Lamar. So a lot of people haven't said that. Somebody else, there we've been had several artists and, and definitely different genres as well. So I think that's a great selection. And Faith Evans, I, I I'm a big fan of Biggie and like Bad Boy and General Mace and all of them. So I definitely know who Faith Evans is. Um, but that concludes the podcast. Again, thank you so much, Shay Duncan Smith, for coming on. We really appreciate it. And thank you all to the Voices of Santa Clara listeners for tuning in once again. Um, we'll be back at you fairly soon. So have a wonderful night and thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm.